what we do is we use the distinction between knowledge because the people I say, you know, cliches are cliches in many times because they're not true, but not always. And I take issue with a few of them. And then one of them is knowledge is power. And I always, and I just did a two minute little clip on this a couple of weeks ago. And I said, and I put it right on. Knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge, knowledge is power. Yeah, yeah if you can have it. And, and there's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. See, we can know something and we can have an education on something, but that doesn't mean we know how to apply it. And wisdom is knowing what to do and when to do it. So we teach people how to supplant and how to take what we call their know-how and make it finally equal their do-how. You know, I mean, how to actually do and apply with what they know. And that's really, and that's where wisdom comes in. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the uh, Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I've got live on the line EA Solkovitz. Are you there, EA? I am, Richard. Thank you so much for having me on your great show. Awesome. So glad to have you here. Um, I know we were talking before you, uh, you're coming in from Michigan, right? Is it still hot up there? Or are you guys starting to get cold already? Actually, we've gotten a break in the weather now. Uh, it's getting down like last night. It was in the uh, mid-50s, so... Uh, we're getting a good break, uh, good sleeping weather, and uh, we, you know, we had a little bit yeah, of a, uh, we had about a week to ten days, which we all usually do every year, you know, where it's like in the nineties and getting close to you know a hundred, and uh, that's coming past. So uh, we're getting to that favorite time of the year. I, I love Michigan in the fall because the colors, you know, there are more bushes and trees variances in Michigan than any other state of all fifty states. And, uh, and, oh, and, cool. and, and so it gets beautiful, you know, in the fall, it's just like, like you can't even describe how pretty it is. So awesome. 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 So yeah, we're, hopefully you'll get we're up gonna there. Try and do the, uh, yeah. We're going to try and do the whole Northern row of States next summer. And, you know, Michigan's awesome. on the right side. So that we're going to go up into Idaho and then across. So maybe we'll be in Michigan in the fall. I awesome. don't um, get to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. My only problem is as a Southern California boy, 50 degrees is about 15 degrees lower than when my blood freezes. So I freeze at about 65. <laughs> Understood. 100% understood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I want to do just real briefly is just a, a short introduction. So you are the founder of Givers University. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, so to start off, can you tell us a little bit about what Givers University is, like what you guys do, who do you serve, that kind of stuff? For sure, for sure. Um, we do something and actually teach something that I'm positive because it's been validated. It's not being taught anywhere else. I average one to three podcasts a day. I've done 100 podcasts since the beginning of uh, April and uh, interviews, and no one has ever said they've heard of this stuff and they said it's so vital we learn it. So uh, the easiest way to sort of explain what we teach at Givers University is, first of all, I say to all your listeners, 
We love everybody. I say it emphatically. We love everybody. But we teach something that's called discernment in relationships. Another way of identifying that is we teach people how to separate the person who we love from their deeds, which we may not love. And by observing certain deeds, which we actually we use a very granular approach, even using the actual checklist of these are the things, the actual deeds people will do. And when you watch them doing these deeds, you can begin to discern and say, you know, should I bring this person closer into my life? Because givers bring with them the three W's of givers, wisdom, wealth, and wellness. Or when I see them doing other certain deeds, should I begin discerning and begin to respectfully distance myself, not nasty or rude, respectfully distance myself from them? Because when I bring them closer, they're going to bring with the three Ds of takers, which are defeatism, disruption, and destruction. So if I bring those then people in closer into my life, they're going to make me collateral damage and I'm going to be stomping out fires not of my making. So we teach people how to discern in their relationships to decide which people should I bring in closer into my life? Because, you know, Richard, as you know, just traveling around, we have businesses opening and closing faster than ever before, products being antiquated overnight. What do we have left? Our relationships. That's all we have left. And no one's teaching us how to discern those. I'm a self-improvement guy. I'm sure you are, but no one's teaching. Richard, what about the other guy? What if he's not doing it right? What should I do about that? And should I bring him into my life? And next thing you know, I'm stomping out fires and my stress level goes up because no one taught me what to look for and what to discern. So that's actually what we teach at Givers University, how to discern and get in your relationships. So what's interesting is I feel like that's a thing that those of us who have gotten good at it know, but we don't necessarily have a framework that we could teach that to someone else. So it's really interesting that you have a framework to teach a skill that some of us have to learn in order to get you know, in order to achieve levels of success, you have to have that skill. Um, but you may not be able to like enumerate it the way that you just did. Exactly right. Because usually, uh, you know, and I, I guarantee you through your learning process, as you've acquired this skill, you have the scars to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's what happens. You know, that's how we learn through those. So we try to help people avoid some of those scars by virtue of even teaching them checklists of deeds look for these specific things. And when you see him doing these things, then you can begin to discern, should I bring them in closer or not? Um, and we see that the value in relationships with people just goes up dramatically with not having to have all, because when, someone, when we're stopping out fires in our life, we're not doing the things we'd rather be doing. Yeah. And when our stress level goes up because we've got the wrong people around us and no one taught us, what should I look for in the beginning? So I should decide, no, maybe I shouldn't have them that close to me because of what's going to happen. So uh, it's been very fulfilling to be able to share this information for those who have yet to acquire the skill. Uh, and it's a mass majority. You know, uh, most people haven't uh, yeah, yeah. been able to, to learn what you've been able to learn. Yeah. And you can, you can absolutely like still love those people where they are, but you, you keep them at an appropriate distance. <laughs> Exactly right. We And then we teach people, that's why I start out by saying we love everybody. And when we say giver, we're not identifying a person, we're identifying their deeds. 
When we say giver, we're saying giver deeds. When we say taker, we're not calling a person a taker or identifying them as a taker. We're identifying the deeds that we have. And we even teach people, if you're being a little takerish or you know someone being a little takerish, there's certain things you can do to help them do what we call a data reset and become more giverish, if you will. Uh, and we found that that really helps even in family relationships, you know, where they see these yeah. conversations that need to happen, but everyone's afraid to do it because they don't want to hurt their feelings. You know, they don't know how to broach a subject. And, and uh, so we're, it's very rewarding that we can teach a very granular approach, not, you know, broad swaths of innocuous information where you say, okay, well, that sounded good. Yeah. Like, like one guy, a couple interviews back, guy goes, oh, this is great. You know, I read this book and the book said, I need to have five good people around me. And I said, you're right. You should. One question, which five? And all of a sudden he was staring at me with this blank look. I said, you get my point? No one's teaching us how to decide which five. Yeah. So my first question for you is, how did you get into this space, right? We call this the uh, the origin story on this show, right? It's, you know, every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's a thing that made you into the hero you are today. You know, were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into teaching people how to discern relationships or did you start off in a you know in a job or a career somewhere and move over to become an entrepreneur basically what's your origin story i appreciate that and, and there's two parts i'd love to share with your uh, your listeners as it relates to that specifically and i should share with your listeners i never say anything in 10 minutes if i can say it in 20 so i'm just warning them up front so <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it it actually goes back a little bit because I, I was born and raised in chicago i don't know if you've been in chicago yet on your tour but maybe next year is a part of it but once in college i rose that wrote the l from one side all the way to the other because i thought that'd be a good thing to do with my weekend it is an interesting experience. Once you've, you know, once you've been on the L in Chicago, you never forget it, right? And, uh, and, and I was born and raised in Chicago, the, the greater, the outlying area, the L, of course, is downtown, and, uh, in an area called Oak Brook. And, and uh, my father was a milkman, so very humble upbringing kind of thing. And all this has to do with how Givers University came about. Um, and I remember one thing when my father, you know, because he had his own route, worked for Twin Oaks Dairy. Back then, milk came in glass gallons. Uh, and there was a box outside the house that was the milkman's box. You know, it was interesting, Richard. There was always money in the milkman box and not one time did anyone ever touch it. It's a different time. Yeah. Huh? I mean, just, I mean, there was, that was milkman money. Everyone knew that, you know, that was for no, now, now they steal your packages from Amazon off your porch. Exactly. Even when they're being filmed, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's extraordinary. Right. So uh, yeah, there are certainly different times, but my father had his own route and he'd get up at three in the morning and, and I, at five years old, would go help him. And he always said the same thing. He always said, well, when we're done, we're done. And it was a point he was making because he didn't need to punch a time clock. You know, he wasn't having someone tell him to be somewhere at a certain place. He had to do it all. But he was simply saying, you know, the sooner we get done with whatever we got to do, the sooner we can do the other things. And, and I think that sort of gave my first touch on being a self-starter. And then at the ripe old age of 16, Richard, I moved up to my first big step of being successful and I became a janitor. Now, I didn't mind doing that because business was always picking up. What? Yeah. Anyway, so, the, uh, so as a janitor at the ripe old age of 16, I had two extraordinary events, both of which had a direct impact on Givers University coming about. One was at 16, I was able to be bonded, which means insured. So if my buffer as a janitor hit some piece of equipment, uh, the insurance company would cover it. It also allowed me to be in really expensive places and expensive homes. And every single Wednesday, I cleaned the home of a lady whose name won't mean anything to you until I make the movie reference. 
Uh, her name was June Martino. And I cleaned her house every single Wednesday. It was a million dollar home. She had a full-time maid and butler. I don't know if you ever saw the movie that was out in the last couple of years. It's called The Founder. It's about McDonald's yeah. and Ray Kroc. Did you catch yeah, it? Yeah. I haven't seen it, but it's on my wish list. Definitely check it out. I mean, I, I will tell you up front because I lived the experience. I lived in Oak Brook where the world headquarters of McDonald's was and drove by the first franchise in Des Plaines, Illinois, a hundred times because it was on the end of the milk route, you know, when we were going home and drove by it every day, literally. So I witnessed all things. So I can tell you this, the movie has a lot of Hollywood spin on it and drama just to try to make it interesting because Ray Kroc really wasn't the way he was portrayed in that movie, but it's Hollywood, right? In the movie, you will see, so when you see the movie reference, I'm going to make a couple references. Think of me, Richard, when you do. In the movie, you'll see a lady talking to, he's always out, she's always outside of Ray's office. Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc, right? Uh, so Mike, outside of Ray Kroc's office, Michael Keaton, he's always talking to this lady. That lady is June Martino. That lady is the ladies whose house I cleaned every Wednesday. That's so, cool. Yeah, it is cool. And uh, and of course, when I met her, I was 16 years old. So she already had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's at that point. So I was, and, and for some reason, Richard, I always had in my mind that in order to be successful, you had to be a jerk. You had to be an idiot. You had to be me only oriented, only care about yourself, push other people down. First one to say it's only business, you know, all that kind of stuff. I was wrong. I was so wrong. Here I am cleaning June's house every single Wednesday. Richard, she was so the opposite, it wasn't even funny. So approachable, so nice, never condescending to, I mean, she's got a maid and a butler. In fact, to show you how she was, if I was buffing the floor, because I had to be there for a special, you know, use a special buffing pad on the floors and clean the pool and the garage. Um, if I was looking down buffing and she walked through the room, she would say hi to me anyway, even though I hadn't even seen her, right? I mean, so that nice and that approachable. So one day I had the chance. I could tell she was in extra good mood. I thought, this is it. I'm 16 years old. I'm a snot-nosed 16 years old. I'm going to muster up all my courage, and I'm going to go ask June Martino a question. And I got to tell you, I mustered up all my courage. I was shaking in my janitorial boots as I went up to her. And I said, hi, June. She said, very approachable. It was extraordinary to me. And she said, hi. You know, I mean, she knew who I was. I was in there every Wednesday, and she always said hi. So, and, uh, and, and I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, well, could you tell me about it? And she said, well, what's that? And I said, well, the whole McDonald's thing. I'm not kidding, Richard. She put her arm around me. This is the lady in the movie. She put her arm around me, brought me in the kitchen and the entire day told me the entire McDonald's story. Coincidentally, when the movie starts, you see that Ray is a milkshake mixer salesman and he hasn't even met the McDonald's brothers yet. That's when she started the story with me. It was weird. I don't know how she started right there, but she did because she worked for Ray before he met the McDonald's brothers. He sold milkshake mixers. That's how he met him, right? So the uh, so she tells me the whole story, every step all the way through. And then she reaches a part that's mentioned in the movie. And she said, there was a time when we were out of money. I kept the ledger. So I brought it to Ray and I said, we don't have any money. Money's going out faster than it's coming in. In the movie, it perpetuates a phone call for Michael Keaton to call the brothers. They have a drama phone call. I need more percentage. I mean, more percentage and Michael Keaton slams down the phone, right? That isn't really the, how the event happened, but the event did happen. And that was, I asked her simply put, I said, well, June, I'm a janitor. I work Friday to Friday, paycheck to paycheck. If I don't get paid on Friday, I'm not showing on Saturday. I need that paycheck. Why did you do it? Why did you work for no money and stay there? 
And Richard, I could tell she sat back, stared at me, had this blank look on her face and literally was staring at me. And I could tell she just left the room. She genuinely was wondering, why did she do it? Because I guess I just asked her a question. No one else had asked her. Everyone wanted to know what happened with McDonald's, but no one ever asked her why. So I said, June, why did you work for nothing? Why did you keep working for Ray when you weren't getting any money? And she said, it was real simple. I'll never forget her answer in the way she said it. She said, because I believed in Ray. And my first thought, Richard, when she said that was, that's it. That's what I need. I need to find my Ray Kroc. That's what I need. As a janitor, I don't even know what I don't know. I don't know the questions to ask. I don't know what I don't know. All I know is I don't know it. And I need to have, it certainly didn't work out for June too bad. She, you know, I mean, so I need to find a Ray Kroc that can bring me under his or her wing and teach me what I need to know. And it wasn't two or three months later at our office, second event as a janitor, all of which bring about Givers University. I, I, I we got my, a phone call came in at the, at the office and uh, the owner, it was late at night. I'd already punched out, it was after dinner time. It was just him and I talking in the office. And he talked a few minutes on the phone, hung up the phone. He said, well, some guy's in from Detroit and uh, he wants to see some carpeting. He's opening a diamond store and uh, they need to see some carpeting for this rebuild they're doing. And, um, and I said, okay, well, sounds good. What's that got to do with me? He said, well, I need you to go. I said, Jerry, I'm not going. I've already punched out, right? Jerry was the name of the, the owner of the company. So well, that's how many times I say no. He, he said, he, I said, Jerry, I'm not going. I already punched out. He goes, no, I need you to go. I said, Jerry, I'm not going. I'm tired. I've been cleaning all day. I'm fatigued. I'm exhausted. He said, I need you to go bid this carpet job. I said, Jerry, I'm not going to go. Third time I said, no. I said, because I don't know how to estimate carpet. You know, I don't know that. I, I can clean it. I can vacuum it. I can shampoo it. I said, I don't know how to bid it out. He goes, you got to go. I'll give you a measuring wheel and call me on the phone. I said, Jerry, I'm not going. Four times I've said no now. He said, I'll tell you what. If you go, I'll give you your pick of any Saturday off you want. Now, for a janitor, that's a huge negotiation <laughs> chip. Because we're working with business that are closed, right? So on Saturday, when they're closed, we're cleaning, right? So I, I thought, so I wanted to make sure he hadn't tricked me and I repeated it back. Any Saturday I want off? I said, yeah, any Saturday. I said, okay. So now I'm, I'm, I'm throwing samples in the back of my car, setting the stage for your listeners. I don't want to go. I've already said no four times. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I've been cleaning all day. I'm getting ready to do something I've never done before measure carpeting so i don't want to do that and and it's nighttime i'm tired i want to go home it's after dinner time already all these reasons not to go little do i know richard i'm getting ready to meet my ray Kroc. the father i never had even though i had a father i became the son he never had even though i had a son and he became the man that would change the trajectory of my life forever and when I met him, he offered me a job. I started working for him. And that in itself is another story for another time because it, it's sort of humorous on what transpired. Nonetheless, I started working for him. And then at the age of 19, that's what really was one of the most pivotal moments that brought about Givers University. Because at 19 years old, I asked him, I said, Sam, his name was Sam Robbins, my business mentor, my Ray Kroc, if you will. And I said, Sam, will you teach me everything? I mean, all of it, all of it. I mean, he was already a multimillionaire many times over and it, it, so much of the kind of life I always wanted to have, just didn't know how to get there, didn't know even what to think or ask. And uh, so he said, yeah, I'll teach you. He said, but I want one thing from you. And I said, well, what's that? 
He said, when the time is right, and you will know that time, I want you to teach as many people as possible everything I teach you. So Richard, at 19 years old, I made a vow. I made an oath. And I made a commitment to my business mentor that later on has become manifest as what we know as Givers University. And that's how it came about. <laughs> that's a really cool story um, for, for how you got here. And so my, my curiosity just in that is when you started working with Sam at 19, how long was it between starting to work for him and starting your first business? Well, uh, by the time I was 21, I was chairman of the board of that business, <laughs> uh, the diamond company. And uh, I mean, you know, I, I was very much into learning. I was like a sponge. And, and, and I think one of the things I was able to do, this would be, a, you know, one of my identified superpowers, if you will, uh, was that I had the ability, Richard, to realize I didn't know. I wasn't too, I wasn't too fascinated by, you know, I didn't have to look good because I was a janitor. I mean, you know, I knew what I knew. I didn't know this stuff and, and everyone that knew me knew I didn't know this stuff. I had one ability and that was simply to say, you know, that's really interesting. Could you teach me about that? I'd love to learn that. And I just became like a sponge. And so the company, the company, House of Holland actually became my first business, if you will, as I became, you know, I was 21 years old. I was chairman of the board of that business. And then uh, from that, while being mentored, I started training companies and went on to other businesses and other ventures uh, and was very, very blessed because of not only what my business mentor taught me, but also um, one of my businesses I started was I had a radio talk show for two years. And in two years, I interviewed over 1,000 millionaires in two years. And I have to share with you, Richard, that was phenomenal because I was most interested in all the questions I asked them off the air, the things I wanted to know. How about this? How about that? How about this? How about that? And through all that, I, I was able to graph all these commonalities and all the things my mentor taught me. And those became the series of courses at Givers University called Give to Be Great. And that's, uh, it's a series of three courses. And, and that all became from those events of learning and, and genuinely having my own business. So um, I've always enjoyed having my own businesses because I, I wanted the last J-O-B I had, and everyone knows J-O-B stands for just over broke. The last J-O-B I had was as a janitor. That's awesome. So I want to dive a little bit more into your superpowers, right? And you know, you do you mentioned a little bit, but every iconic hero has a superpower. It's the thing that makes them into the hero they are, whether that's a fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength. Um, but you know, heropreneurs have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over a course of time that really energize all of your other skills, right? It's the, uh, it's the common thread between all the skills that you've developed over your life. And that common thread that you know, ties all your skills together is really where you find your superpower. Um, so with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is? The ability to dumb up. Uh, the ability to say, I don't know, you know, not being so interested in looking good like everyone's today. I want to be my brand and I want to look good and I've got to look great. And, all. and I was just always sort of the opposite. I took the humble approach and just said, you know, I, I don't know that. Could you teach me that? And then I was blessed, I think, with the ability to gather what I learned and then break it down into very granular, simplistic terms that it would be easy for people to grasp, not only the information, but 
what to do with that information, which I think is really, really critical. I find in business and success and, and, and most people know what to do. I, I have to share with you, Richard, I've met many, many educated idiots in my life. All the book knowledge, they can spew it all back at you. No execution ability, no ability to implement. So I focused on how do I accumulate this stuff with my ability to dumb up and just simply ask and say, you know, I don't know that. Could you, could you teach me about that? I'd love to learn about that, right? And, uh, and by the way, it's a very interesting on how it opens up people. The, the, no matter how successful or not, when you say that to someone, it's fascinating how much they open up and because they love to be able to share something that they may have acquired. And then my ability to sift it down, sift it, filter, 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 all the way down to how do I utilize that information and then actually apply it and implement it in its most simplistic terms. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, application is almost the most important part of that skill because um, otherwise it's just it's just knowledge up here. Um, and I was funny, I was having a, a discussion with my son the other day about the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Um, the difference being that heart knowledge is something that you've experienced in the real life, in the real world. Um, head knowledge is stuff you know in your head and how how different that kind of knowledge is uh, and so like it almost doesn't matter what you gather and head knowledge until you've actually applied it and done something with it and i was talking <laughs> i was talking with them about uh um my my best metaphor for for at least for a child on the difference between like head knowledge and heart knowledge was having kids yourself um and i was like you like he's he's gonna be 12 and he gets the idea of being a parent and the responsibilities and all that stuff he like in his head he understands the responsibility and everything that goes along with it that i have for him i was like but you won't like and you'll understand that all the way up until the moment that you hold your baby in your hands for the first time and it changes you right it changes you like on the inside i'm just like that's what that's what heart knowledge is is when you imp when you apply something when you apply the knowledge it changes who you are and um and i think it goes right back to the stuff you were talking about at the beginning about um actions actions are what define us uh, and so you know when you're talking about being being able to build those skills of who are the people to keep in your life it's all about the actions because the actions are really what define a person exactly right and uh, and and we would use a term and, and oh, i really appreciate it. you've articulated that excellent what we do is we use the distinction between knowledge because the people I say, you know, cliches are cliches in many times because they're not true, but not always. And I take issue with a few of them. And then one of them is knowledge is power. And, and I always, and I just did a two minute little clip on this a couple of weeks ago. And I said, and I put it right out. Knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge, knowledge is power. And there's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. See, we can know something and we can have an education on something, but that doesn't mean we know how to apply it. And wisdom is knowing what to do and when to do it. So we teach people how to supplant and how to take what we call their know-how and make it finally equal their do-how. You know, I mean, how to actually do and apply with what they know. And that's, really, and that's where wisdom comes in. Yeah, yeah. And wisdom is, I really like that definition of wisdom, knowing what is, is knowing what to do or when to do what um, or when not to do what. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's such an important skill, right? Is like, there's like so many pieces to that. There's, you have to, you have to get the knowledge and you have to wisdom to know when to use it and when not to use it. 
and then you have to actually use it. And those are like all three different skills. And you have to pick up all of them if you want to be successful. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, well said. So if your superpower is the ability to distill that knowledge down, right, and get both that do-how and the wisdom to know when and not to use it, the flip side of the superpower is, of course, the fatal flaw. Right? So just like every Superman has her kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you've probably had some flaws that have held you back in the growth of your organizations. For me, I had a couple and I still struggle with these. One of them was perfectionism, um, which kept me from shipping product. And I know I spent a lot of time being like, I could tweak it a little bit more, tweak a little bit more, make it a little more perfect and then never ship anything to market, which is the same as not doing anything, right? Um, so it's a really low standard to hold yourself to. And I also struggled a lot um, early in my entrepreneur career with uh, lack of self-care, which mostly manifested itself in not having good boundaries, not having good boundaries with my time, not having good boundaries with my clients and other things that led to you know, overwhelm and other things like that. So my curiosity is what are what is your fatal flaw? And I think more important than what it is, is how have you worked to overcome it so that you can continue to grow? Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing with me uh, yours as well, of course. But uh, and and I would say that really, you know, we have like, I'll give you an example. With Givers University, we have a 30-year plan in place, month by month by month, where we'll be. And uh, one of my challenges in my life has always been patience uh, and not the kind that goes into a medical center. It's a different kind of patient. <laughs> I mean, the kind of patient where, you know, uh, it, it, you know, I know we have a 30 year plan and we have a 10 year plan to have 1 billion members worldwide with Givers University that we've been able to teach them how to discern. And I would love to have that all done yesterday. And, but I know that we've got to go through the steps that are so important step by step by step because one step reaches us to the next one, to the next one. So the impatience of being able to rein myself back of you know, wanting to speed forward, full, full forward, knowing that that really isn't the sure way, you know, potentially wanting to build the house too fast, not wanting to build that foundation because as high as you want to go, you've got to be willing to go that deep down into the ground. Otherwise it's never going to last. And uh, to build that solid foundation over time. So I have to I rein myself back on a regular basis, if you will, uh, and, and, and think about we need to follow the plan that's set forth step by step in order to give the concrete time to cure, in order to have the foundation in place so that what we do can outlive everything and outlive any one of us that are participating in it. So how do you work on that? Because I know that is a it's a struggle that a lot of entrepreneurs have is living in the future. Um, and, you know, it's important to know where you're going, but you can't like set up camp there, right? You have to be here where you're at now. So how do you, how do you do that yourself as the leader of your organization? Uh, regimentation. Uh, you know, I, I certainly would be the guy that, uh, you know, if someone says, well, you need to take up a hobby. I do have hobbies. I love flying. I'm a commercial pilot and those kinds of things, but uh, it, from an analogy standpoint, I would be the guy where they say, you know what, you need to take up flying or I said, you need to take up a hobby. And I'd say, well, maybe I'll go painting. And uh, the next morning I would finish 30 pictures and say, okay, now what? <laughs> you know I mean? It would be, it would, <laughs> not that I got my hobby, right? And so, <laughs> and so I, I, uh, discipline and uh, regimentation is really my key. You know, I get up first thing in the morning. Uh, my favorite book is the Bible. And I, every single morning, you know, I, every year I read the Bible cover to cover from the very beginning to the very end of the book. Every single year I read it cover to cover. And also, by the way, 
there's a lot of lessons in patience in there, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so with the regimentation and, and doing that, my, one of the things that I see get talked about a lot is how important your routine is. And one of the things I think people mistake is that someone else's routine whatever they're doing, your successful person over there is doing, has this routine that if I copy that routine, it'll work for me. And I feel like that's a flaw in people's thinking. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on how you develop your own regimen through your own routine that'll work for you and not just copying other people's routines. Um, I would, my response would be that uh, the regimen that we have uh, and self-select is based on what our ultimate objectives are. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we know that we're going to have adversities in our life. We, we, you know, that's very, very important. One of the things my business mentor taught me was supplant, get rid of the F-bomb in your life. Get rid of the word F-bomb, which is failure. He says, supplant the word failure with temporary defeat because failure makes it sound too eternal. Temporary defeat frames it properly. So he said, so by having our objective in place by having, you know, and, and it's so cliche to talk about goals and plans and everyone's almost cliche, I should say, because people say, but they don't realize how important that really is, you know, and, it, uh, and, and it's become almost trite and it's unfortunate because those daily objectives and daily plans are what we have in our 30 year objective, even with Givers University. So our ultimate objective ends up really sort of defining, not sort of, it defines what is our daily tasks and what are our daily routines and regiments that we need to do broken down every day that will ultimately get us to where our destination is. If we don't know where it's at, I, I, a lot of times I use flying exam, examples because I'm a commercial pilot. And, and one of the things that I share with people, what pilot would ever take off and not know his destination airport? You, you'd be spent a lot of time in the air or just flying around if you didn't know where you were gonna end up. So one of the, and, and you notice before the plane takes off, the pilot knows where he wants to land. <laughs> and then, and, and the course is pretty well laid out. He knows this is the course. You take these vectors, you take these GPS. I mean, you, this is what you do. And, and so, so many times people don't do that. And as a part of that regiment, the regiment is a regiment that sort of becomes, no, I shouldn't say sort of, it becomes a, since our lives become self-fulfilling prophecies, uh, one of the things my business mentor mentioned to me, don't worry about the answers. He says, everyone's fascinated with the answers. I got to find the answer. What's the answer? Wrong. He says, it's backwards. He said, don't worry about the answers. They're omnipresent. They're always there. They're always will be there. Focus on asking the right question. He said, when we focus on asking the right question, we'll get the right answer because our lives are self-fulfilling prophecies. If we, if we know that that is true and we know where our destination is, where we're going, that daily regiment becomes very, very clear and actually self-manifests itself right in front of us. This is what I need to do Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday that will get me all the way there. Absolutely. I really like that. Um, and that's, uh, that's definitely how I try to work my life is I work backwards from where I want to get to, um, whether that's a, a goal for traveling or a goal for like the next stage of our business. I always start with where I want to be and then work backwards. Um, how do I get to this section and how I get to that piece, right? So yes, it's yeah. very effective. So my next question for you then is about your common enemy, right? And I like to put this in terms of your clients, right? So every superhero has an arch nemesis and it's the thing that you constantly have to fight against in their world, right? So um, 
we like to put in the context of your, of your clients, right? The people that actually hire Givers University or come into Givers University. And it's a mindset or a flaw that you constantly have to fight against to help them overcome so they can achieve this, the result that they came to you for in the first place. And if you had your magic wand in the moment they hit the complete purchase button, you could just pop them on the head and not have to worry about that. What is the common enemy that you find with the Givers University? My, when I first met my business mentor, one of the first things I told him is I wanted to become a millionaire. And he said, well, I can tell you this, earning a million dollars will be one of the easiest things you'll ever do. And he said, I'll tell you the hard part. And I said, what's this? He says, it's the hardest part you'll ever do. And I said, what's that? He said, believing you're worth it. And I find that many, many business owners don't value what they bring to the table when they help their clients. I'm astonished when I do business consulting. And, and I can share with you, I listen to my mentor. And what I'm about ready to say is not to be braggadocious. It's when you have a mentor that can train you. I became a millionaire at 21. And at 33 years old, that was the first year I earned a million dollars in one year after I had paid taxes. That's not business income. That's personal income. I'd paid all my taxes and had a million dollars left in my pocket at 33 years old. I didn't do that. The application of the things I learned taught me how to do those things. And one of the things that my business mentor that I find I challenged with constantly with people is they have bought into so much what other people have taught them that they no longer control their own thought process and their own mind. They have actually given it over to other people over and over again and not realizing it. We have 18 million, these are the numbers, by the way, astonishing, 18,250,000 separate conversations with ourselves in our own mind every year. 18,250,000, about 35 a minute, separate conversations we have quietly in our own mind. And people don't realize the impact of those conversations we have with ourselves and how they will manifest themselves in our life. So I can share with you the, the, the constant battle that I've seen and is that people don't have the belief and they don't really realize the great extent and the freedom of choice. As God-given right, we have to think our own thoughts and they've just adopted everyone else's. And that has to do with their own inabilities, their inability to perform, their inability to succeed. Uh, I can go, the list is endless, it seems, over and over again. But it can always be filtered back to being a, a dependent thinker, where they're, they're thinking dependent on what other people feed them, and they think, as opposed to being an independent thinker and keeping and maintaining their own counsel and having good, success-oriented, those that have done it, counselors around them. Absolutely. Yeah. I know one of the uh, most important things I've learned in my life is learning how to self-select the people whose advice you would take. Boy, is that true? Whew. That's a big uh, Yeah. And, and it's, it's an interesting thing, especially like I grew up, um, you know, I had great parents, right. And I still have a great relationship with all of them, uh, with, with my parents and learning early on that because my parents weren't entrepreneurs, that when it came to business, I couldn't take their advice. And that was like a rough thing to learn as a kid. Um, yeah. You think you're, especially when you have great parents like I had, is you think like their word is gold and you find out that, you know, in some areas like they you know, but want to listen to them about parenting and 
um, running a family and keeping a budget for a house and all those things that like all the life skills I picked up from them. Absolutely. Great people to listen to when it came to how do you run a business and those kind of things. I couldn't listen to their advice um, and had to go through several years and, you know, my parents probably listened to this episode later and how many times did they were like, man, my son is crazy because they don't live in the same world that I do. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's an interesting, it's an interesting skill to pick up to say like, Hey, this person has a skill that I want or has the result that I want in this area. And I can listen to them and their advice in that category, but not necessarily in other categories. Right. Cause I've had business mentors who are like, they didn't have the relationships that I want. So I didn't pay any attention to how they, <laughs> how they taught or listened or whatever about relationships, but they had the results I wanted in business. Uh, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting skill to pick up, learn how to, how to self-select counsel. And, and it's been said, uh, we are wise only in that which we have knowledge about. So that means that everyone has that different set. So, and we use, I mentioned other people and I, I said, find someone who's done it, not someone that knows how to do it and says, I'm going to teach you how to do it. Someone who says, I did this. Let me show you how to do this. Uh, you know, again, when I was flying, I, I'm glad someone just didn't throw me, you know, a bunch of books after ground school and said, there's the keys to the plane. I would have been a lawn dart by the end of the runway. You know, I mean, but what do you do? He, he sat with me and, and, and I, and I thought, I genuinely thought that my flight instructor thought for the first six months he knew me, I thought he thought my name was where the hell you going? Cause that's all they ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was where the hell are you going? You know, <laughs> but but you know what he did? He sat right with me. He was yeah. with me every step. And when I put my foot on the rudder in the wrong way, he corrected it with his pedals. And and he and he, he taught me step by step by step all the way through. And when we can find those one or two mentors in our life that can be our co-pilot and literally get up and and fly that experience you know and and, and do it with you and how teach you how to do your first solo flight and and teach you how to do your first first cross country and there every step of the way as opposed to just throwing a bunch of books at you and you know say here listen to these recordings you'll know what to do and 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 really that isn't the way to do it from what i've seen you know so yeah. to be able to select has that person done it before you bring them in as one of your counselors, I think is a critical question. Yeah, I call, I call that the, uh, that concept, the uh, crocodile infested river. And we're on one side of the crocodile infested river and the promised land is on the other side of the crocodile infested river, right? Being a pilot, knowing how to fly, right? Those kind of things, whatever it is, it's on the other side of the crocodile infested river. And you have to learn how to cross that river and your mentors, they're the ones that have the boat. They got the boat with the crocodile disintegrating lasers and they're the captain of that boat and they know where all the whirlpools are and where all the things are and they can help you navigate across the crocodile infested river to get to the other side. Um, and you have to find you have to find those people. And I just want to mention if you absolutely on purpose, Richard, just did a tie-in to me talking about Ray Kroc in the very beginning. That was extraordinary. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> man this guy really knows how to tie it all together <laughs> i was talking about ray Kroc, and he's talking about crocodiles <laughs> so so i i was not trying to talk it into tie it into oh, crocodile, okay, but okay. that is pretty funny no i actually use the crocodile infested river metaphor pretty regularly it just happens okay. to fit nicely that's ray Kroc. <laughs> oh yeah so i want to talk about the uh, the flip side of your common enemy right so if your common enemy is what you fight against then your driving force is what you fight for 
right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, even if sometimes we don't want them to you know, categorize all of our information. Um, I want to know what it is that you fight for in your business, your mission, so to speak. I'm fulfilling my vow and commitment I made at the ripe old age of 19 years old. And I, I know that as I work every day at fulfilling that vow, because that is my driving force, that I would teach everything that I was learned, that I was blessed to learn at an early age. And then along with the, the thousand, mil, thousand plus millionaires, I was able to interview and to sift all that and to just see how it influences other people's lives and provokes thought. So my vow and my oath are clearly my driving force. Absolutely. So I want to talk then of something about more practical on the show. I call this your, uh, your hero's tool belt. Just like every superhero has their gadgets like web slingers or batarangs or magical hammers that they can spin around and fly with. Um, I want to talk about the top one or two tools you couldn't live without in your business. Could be anything from your marketing tools to your communication stuff to something you use for product delivery or your calendar, your notepad, something that you just, or your morning routine, whatever it is that you're like, without this, I couldn't do what I do. What are your top one, maybe two tools that you use every day in your business? Uh, well, my personal ones, because I am my business. Uh, so I don't separate the two, you know, they're, they're to me, they're, they're one in the same uh, because my, the things I do in my business are in my heart. So the two things I would need every day is my Bible, and I would need my one hour of self-improvement every day. Uh, and my business mentor, uh, I, I would actually, can I throw a third one in? You can. I, okay, I'd throw a third one in. Because it's the, it's, the thing, it's the three phrases that my business mentor taught me and convinced me and almost tricked me into saying to myself every day, and I've done this for 40 years plus. So the three things that I mentioned, my three things in my tool belt, uh, my, my superhero tool belt would be my Bible, my self-improvement every single day, an hour of self-improvement, uh, bettering my best, if you will. And these three phrases are the third thing. And these are the three phrases my business mentor got me to say 40 plus years ago, and I still say them every day now, and they are as follows. I will never give up. I will keep rising up. And I will always overcome. I just wrote those down. I feel feel like they were, uh, <laughs> they're useful. I will never give up. I will keep rising up and I will always overcome. Yeah, that's a, it's a, a form of, you know, we talked earlier about conversations in your head, you know, 218 million. It's a form of self-conversation. And if you're, I assume you're starting your day with those, you're sort of setting the tone for the conversations that are happening in your head. And the times where we get tackled, because we're going to get tackled a thousand times, and uh, you know, many more times. And and each time we stand up, when we have the right might side, we'll realize we got a first down. We're still in the game. We don't throw ourselves out of the game. So to be able to say that over and over again in the challenging times and the great times, to set the stage and to end the day, uh, have been very very valuable in my life. Absolutely, and that's one of those things that you have to you have to. You have to build on those beliefs, right? That I will never give up, that I will always rise up, that I will always over overcome. Um, each, of, each of those sort of like build on the one before it, right? Because, um, you know, it, it, I don't know how to say this. Never giving up is like the baseline. <laughs> you never quit, but you can still, you can be in a never quit mindset and still have the 
I may never succeed, the overcome part, right? We're like, so, you know, I might, you know, I'll get up every time, but I'm going to keep getting knocked down. Um, but, you know, the, the idea that I'll keep rising up and always overcome is like, there's not, there's no problem too big for me to actually like learn to be bigger than. That's exactly right. And, and whatever we're not able to overcome ourselves through surrounding ourselves with the right people, we'll always be able to overcome that. So, uh, I, I like the way you articulate that because someone could say, I'll never give up, but they're crawling. So I say, I'm never going to give up crawling, <laughs> you know, yeah. stand up, stand up, you know, and get up, right? Rise up so, and yeah. overcome, become bigger than your problems, right? Exactly um, right. I, I, I like all three of those because I know in my head, I use the I'll never give up mm -hmm. a lot. Um, but just like thinking through that, I'm like, I know sometimes I still struggle with the I'll always overcome self-talk where I'm like, this problem seems big. Right. Um, and, you know, I know I will eventually, but I don't have that as part of my regular self-talk because I've never really heard anyone say that. I really like that that set of phrases because they build on each other. Great. I, I appreciate that. And and I can share with you 45. It's actually been 45 years now plus, And uh, the impact by, you know, like I said, 18 million, 250 thousand conversations in our own head with ourselves every single year. That's a lot of conversations that are impacting us. Absolutely. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So I want to shift and talk a little bit about your own personal heroes, right? So just like, um, you know, Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad. Um, I want to, or even Spider-Man has not been, I want to talk about some of your personal heroes. Um, I know you've mentioned your business mentor. Um, so were they real life mentors like him or speakers or authors, peers who are a couple of years ahead of you and how important were they to what you have accomplished in your various um, businesses? Um, I'll use the slant if we can, uh, specifically those that I, I would have considered myself men being mentored by. Uh, Sam Robbins certainly was my business mentor, the man that changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, you know, he, he, so impactful in every way. And, 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 and a true mentor, by the way, there's a distinction between an expert and a coach and a mentor. Um, an expert, as my business mentor taught me, 
is anyone that lives more than 50 miles away? <laughs> for some reason he said they call themselves an expert he said so that's an expert he, and, and a coach can be on the sidelines and sort of teach you things a mentor uh is a much more closer kind of contact uh, a much more you know because they get into why you're thinking that way and, and 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 as he began to help me put together those burnt out wires if you will so certainly sam robbins uh another was uh napoleon hill and even though i never met the man in my lifetime um, you know, I, I read, uh, he had a course of books, uh, actually called Laws of Success, which originally I think was 12 books um, that later on he wrote, he brought all together in one book called Laws of Success. And I read that over 30 times cover to cover. Uh, it was many years later, he did the condensation, which later on became known as Think and Grow Rich, which is really just a tiny snippets of what were in those 12 courses. So the law of success, you know, as even though I never met the man personally. And, uh, and, and I had people that I just sort of met, you know, June Martino, you know, what, what a great way to teach me that people could be happy and successful, you know? And I, I used to love Richard cleaning out her garage because I had to pull out the Rolls Royce to clean the garage. <laughs> and, you know, here I'm sitting in the car as a janitor, that's, you know, 10 lifetimes of my income. And at night I would go home and drive my Rolls Canardly which basically rolls down one hill and can hardly make it up the next. That was, I had a rose can hardly. So, <laughs> so here I am, I'm able to, you know, so June was a great, you know, influence on my life. I don't know if she, you know, she's passed on and I, I don't know if she, she never really probably never knew the influence that she had, but I think she sensed that I asked her the question, not because I wanted to get close to June. I asked her the question because I really genuinely wanted to know what happened. And I think she discerned the difference and that I really, really wanted to know what really happened? You know, I mean, uh, intriguingly so. So those are just a few of them for sure. Sam Robbins, June Martino, uh, you know, uh, Napoleon Hill would be certainly three big ones in my life. That's incredible. And I really like the, uh, the Rolls can hardly. That's funny because yeah. <laughs> my first car at that age, I, I had a, uh, it was a Geo Metro and I always tell people it had built-in massage because when you hit 35 miles an hour, it went. So I always tell people, I was like, they're, they're talking about their first cars. And I was like, my first car had built-in massage. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You had a real nice one. Hit that 36 miles an hour and you were all, you know, you're all massaged. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a vibrating car. At 35, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So I want to talk then about um, your guiding principles, right? One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code, um, right? For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever puts them in Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up this interview, I want to talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you use every day in your life. Maybe something you wish you had learned when you started off at 19 years old. I have to say there's three again, sorry. Uh, the, uh, the, and, and they actually are, with Givers University, I, I mentioned the courses, uh, Give to Be Great. And the Give to Be Great course is based on three books or three courses that I wrote. And the first one is called the giver's mindset. The giver's mindset is different than the taker's mindset. And they actually go through and teach what is the very granular approach? How do they think differently? What are the things they do? There's actually a checklist of 25 do's, the 25 things that they do. Um, this next guiding set of principles are what I call the giver's lifestyle. These are the 30 habits that givers have contrasting the 30 habits that takers have. There's 30 certain things that they will do over and over and over again. And then the third would be the giver's lifelong learning. Um, and with all three of those, I would say the give to be great 
have really genuinely been the way in which I was blessed to put in book form, in course form, and in one series form to give with others the guiding principles that I found work in my life. And not only that, but a thousand millionaires who would pretty much parallel all the things I say. So I feel like you'll you'll appreciate this because you you mentioned earlier you've read scripture back to back every year for your whole life. Um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 12, I believe, um, Jesus talks about give first and then you shall receive. And I always think people mistake that as a as a as a commandment, like thou shalt give first. And I don't think that's what that was. I think that what that was is like, hey. I'm the author of the universe and the operating system of the universe operates in this way. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. This was just him describing the way the universe was built. And one of those principles is um, give to be great, right? Give first and it will be given unto you. Uh, and I feel like that's, it's just, it's just how the world works. And there's no getting around it. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And, and, and from the standpoint of my, my business mentor, when teaching me about giving and how important that was, he said, uh, let me share with you a little bit. I, you know, I'm just, I reflect on these words, even like they were yesterday. Um, and one of the things he said was, when you're a giver, people will take advantage of you. He said, but here's the part no one gets. He said, they don't hear the next part that's coming. When you're a giver, people will take advantage of you. Expect it, but you're never diminished because you gave. They are diminished because they took advantage of you. And he said, and what you give? And he said, picture in your life, this huge scale. And on one side is the giving thing. All the things you get to give and contribute is on one side. And on the other side is all the things we're going to receive. And he said, the amazing thing about the scale is it strives and will always be in perfect balance. He said, so when we understand that, we don't have to worry about the receiving side. He said, so in your life, what you want to do is do your best to get the scale out of balance by throwing so much on the giving side and heaping it so full and doing your best. He said, because those instances where people take advantage of you and they're going to, number one, get your head around, you're never diminished because they took advantage of you. They are. And number two, you will get back from another person, from another event, from another business circumstance in a very unexpected way that which you gave as that scale goes back into balance as it will 100% of the time. And I can share with you, Robert, that has always worked for me. It's uh, Richard. And yeah, that's... Uh, Richard, Richard. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No problem. I, what's funny is, is since the very earliest time in my life, people mistake my name for Robert all the time. I don't know why that is. It's a thing. I got a good friend of mine whose name is Robert. I say the same thing with him. People call him Richard all the time. Something about Robert and Richard. They're too close together. Yeah. Well, I don't feel too bad about that because till I was 12 years old, I thought my name was Go Chop Wood. So, you know. <laughs> oh, man. But I really, really love that metaphor of, of it being a balance, right? And it almost fits in with stuff that I've been learning about how like all matter is energy and how we're all sort of, we're all made of energy and for sure. energy strives for balance. The reason why batteries work is because the energy you have stored here is trying to balance itself out over the circuit. Right. And, you know, if we're all energy and energy all works to achieve equilibrium, um, right. You know, when you have that bottle of water that's full on this side, and you hook it up to the one that's empty on the other side, it'll, it'll always try to get, get it to be equal. Um, and, you know, it's, that it's, it's like a, you know, just like, like I was saying a second ago, it's the laws of the universe. 
right? It's it's the way that the world was built. Um, so if you can strive to give, <laughs> the world's going to work to put those those scales back in balance. Um, I've never heard it put that way. I'm going to use that metaphor in my own life and stories as I tell people. That's a great way to talk about it. Please do. Please do. Please do. I'm going to steal it from you. I might even remember yeah. to give you credit. <laughs> Either way is okay, because guess what? I didn't make it up. It was taught to me. So, you know, I'm just past all I am is a conduit, because if I believe I can, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's basically a wrap on our interview. But I do finish every interview with a simple challenge. I call this the hero's challenge. And I do this to hopefully help me get access to stories I wouldn't find otherwise on my own, right? So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a good entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story with us here on the Hero Show? First person that comes to mind for you. Uh, one of them would be uh, D.D. Hoffman. And I'm actually uh, uh, one of his speakers at an event he's doing right now. And he's in South Africa. And uh, he's putting on a huge worldwide event. And I'm blessed to be one of the speakers. And I think he'd be a great asset to your show on some of the experiences he's had in his life. Some have been amazing. So his name is D.D. Hoffman. And the other is Rafael Gomez. And he's out of New York. And uh, uh, and he, he actually uh, does a lot of posting on LinkedIn and uh, they both would be great guests and being able to share with your listeners and their, their background. And I can share with you that even with the thousand millionaires I interviewed, Richard, do you know, every single one of them, everyone, not some of them, all had a time in their life when everything told them to stop. Their friends said stop, their family said stop, their finances said stop, the economy said stop, political arena said stop. And they did that next step. Every one of them did the next step after everything told them to stop. And some of them even used the same words, which was astonishing to me. They didn't even know each other, different industries, different backgrounds, was over two years. And they even said almost the same words. And they said, you know, I even took the next step to see what else could go wrong out of morbid fascination. I thought, what else could go wrong? I hit all of them. <laughs> Is there anything else I missed? Is there anything else? And they said, and then what happened? It was astonishing and almost effortlessly, with almost no effort. And they said, sometimes even in spite of me, things began to work out. And it was like temporary defeat exited my life and said, this guy or gal doesn't know when to throw in the towel. So I'm just going to go screw up someone else's life. It's going to be a whole lot easier. And they all, all of them had that story. And certainly Didi and Raphael have those stories too. That's awesome. So thank you very much for that. We'll try and reach out later and get an introduction to them. Maybe they'll say yes and come on the show. But in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. So our analogous, analogous to that as we close is I want to know where can people find you? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, EA, EA, I'd love to be a part of Givers University. Um, and I think more important than where is who are the right types of people to raise their hands and reach out? Uh, well, certainly those that want to uh, learn how to discern more in their relationships. You know, those are the, because that's really where we feel we're helping the most at this point. Um, they would go to our website, giversuniversity.com. It's plural. And uh, on there, there's a place to sign up for our newsletter. And, uh, uh, and all I do is put in their first name and email, and then they're going to get a, a confirmation email. We don't spam people. You know, I hate that. You know, you sign up for an email, and the next thing you know, six, you're getting six a day from them. And I, I unsubscribe, unsubscribe, right? So we send out one email a week, and it's every Thursday. Uh, right away when they sign up, by the way, we're going to send them a, a freebie. And they're going to get a checklist that's called the six arrows that takers shoot at givers. It's a great short one page checklist. 
couple of days later, they're going to get another freebie from us. That's actually called the, I've referenced the 25 do's before the 25 actual deeds. It's a two page checklist. We want them to print it off, put it in their pocket, use it in discerning their relationships. These are the 25 things you want to watch people do and see how they do it and helping discerning. Those are freebies from us. We want them to get that. Um, and then, and then what, every Thursday after that, we send out an email and that basically is like the giver's toolbox, if you will, you know, another tool that they can put in their toolbox. that's going to help them in discerning with their relationships and also discerning with the things they're doing in their, in their lives themselves. Um, so they go to giversuniversity.com. Uh, that's our website. And, uh, we'd love to be able to share with them. And over time, they find out about our courses and who we are and, and uh, we're nurturers. We, we, we make an investment in people um, and, and in lives because we know how that scale works. We're constantly working to get that scale out of balance by constantly contributing to the giver side. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time on the show today. I um, really appreciate hearing your story and listening to some of the metaphors that you've taught. Um, and if you are listening to this and you want to learn how to discern your relationships, definitely check out Givers University. Um, I know we'll, we'll definitely make sure there's links to it in the uh, description below. And do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience for hit that stop record button? Uh, yes. Uh, first, I, I want to say uh, thank you, Richard. And uh, please thank your brother, Robert, for having me uh, on the show. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I finish off with, I think, would be the best superhero salute. And it goes as follows. I will never give up. I will keep rising up. And I will always overcome. <laughs> I love it. Thank you very much.